0: The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul.
1: The judgments of
0: the Lord are true and righteous altogether, more to be. I'm gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Believe and Follow podcast. I'm your host, James Ratazzi. This week's podcast is on being a stumbling block, and how that figure is employed in the Word of God. Before we begin, I would like to extend an invitation to anyone who would like to weigh in on the discussion, especially if you have an issue with anything that is said. Please email me at james at believeandfollow.org. All are welcome to participate. The more voices we have joining in, the better. In his epistle to the Romans, chapter 14, verses 10 to 13, the Apostle Paul wrote, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother." The following is a recent discussion on the topic of being a stumbling block. Turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Bunch of instructions of the nation of Israel and how they should behave towards one another in this section. But Leviticus chapter 19 verse 14 says, you want to read it, Jeremy? Shall not curse the deaf. Or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. Right, and it it ends with that word. What's that word that it ends with? Because when it's all L, all capital letters means that it's... It's Yahweh. Yahweh, right, right. right. I am the Lord. I am the most high God. But I want to concentrate on, or put a stumbling block. And he doesn't say, or put a stumbling block before anybody. He says, put a stumbling block before the blind. Why would putting a stumbling block before the blind cause them a problem?
1: Because they can't see it.
0: They don't see it, and so they're going to stumble. So that's where the figure begins. It's pretty clear and very simple.
1: In this case, we're talking about, we're not, in this particular instance, is are, are this a metaphor, or are we like, talking about actually blind people, or are we talking <laughs> about the spiritually weak who are, in some sense, blinded?
0: I think in the case of Leviticus, it's literal. Oh, we can take it literally. <laughs> Don't put a stumbling block before a blind person. Why would you do it? Somebody might think it's fun. <laughs> yeah. that. And of course, these instructions to the nation of Israel were meant to be followed literally, but there was also in the structure of the instructions and the way the instructions were given, there's a spiritual application.
1: So it's just interesting because in the one case, it's like deliberate cruelty. But in the other, I feel like the spiritually immature, like you just have to be that much more careful because it's easier to create a stumbling block for the blind or the spiritual, in the sense that they don't have a proper understanding to begin with. So it's easier to cause them to stumble. So it's like... It's two different, to me, it's two different, kind of two really different ideas that you're teaching against one being more deliberate cruelty, the other being more like negligence.
0: If someone is blind, you have to be more careful not to put a stumbling block in right. their way, right? If I'm walking down the street and someone's walking along in front of me and I see they got one of those little canes and they're feeling around, I'm going to be more careful in my going around them because they're blind and it's harder to walk down the street if you're blind. So that's a really good point, and that relates to all the New Testament instructions. Uh But now, turn to Ezekiel, chapter 14. Now, in chapter 13, Ezekiel was discussing the idolatry of the nation of Israel, how they'd become an idolatrous nation. And in Ezekiel 14, do you want to read Ezekiel 14, verses 1 through 4, Tanya? Okay.
1: Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me, and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart, and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak unto them, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to the prophet. I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. Thank you.
0: What's he saying here? Now this takes us on a little bit of a side tangent, a little bit. In Ezekiel 13, he's talking about that the nation of Israel was actually practicing outright idolatry. Then certain elders of Israel, people who were leaders, people who were presenting themselves as religious people, as spiritual people, come before the prophet. And the Lord tells them that these men have taken their idols into their hearts. And this is an interesting uh, phrase. I want to focus on this phrase, and there's another phrase I want to focus on, and then we'll move on. But he says have set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. What does that mean?
1: Um, in this case, is the iniquity the idolatry? Because um, because to me, it's kind of like anything that you put above God is an idol, and that is what is in your heart, that's what's on your focus. Then it, if, if you go to the man of God, the prophet, then anything that he says to you, because you have that thing in your heart, it's almost going to be like that thing that you have in your heart that you want to hear is going to block out the the truth that he's telling to you. So to me, it's like because they don't really love God and they don't really want to follow God, they're just going to the prophet for show Whatever he says isn't really going to be heard by them um, and, and, and obeyed by them because they already have that thing in their heart that they want, and in that sense, the thing that they want becomes the stumbling block that keeps them from seeing or doing the right thing.
0: Define the word iniquity. Give me a synonym for the word iniquity. Sin, Sin is good enough. Sin. You know, it's interesting in the Old Testament, iniquity is um, is. Can be thought of as outright disobedience, lawlessness, like it is in the New Testament. It also includes, or in the Old Testament meaning of the word, the idea of perverting the law, someone who's twisting the law. But it's all just different flavors and shades of lawlessness. So the stumbling block of their iniquity, your sins. So what do your sins do? What does Isaiah say your sins do? They. They separate you from God, yes. And what else do your sins do? Here, it's they're blinding you to the truth. The stumbling block is a problem. Why? Because you don't see it. If you see the stumbling block, it's not a problem. You're just going to sidestep it. So it's the stumbling block of your iniquity cause you not to see the truth, cause you not to see God's instruction. Because these people that come, these leaders, who might on the outside seem more religious, because look at us, we're going to the prophet. But on the inside, they're idolatrous in their hearts. Then that's the stumbling block of their iniquity. Their sin has blinded them to the
1: truth. Mm-hmm. And that's the same. And we, we see that in the New Testament too, when it talks about people. Second um, Timothy 4.3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves... Teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But that's not the belly's one. No, that's and not the belly's one. That's I was or, thinking but, about. Yeah. But there is one that has belly.
0: Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame mind mindset on earthly things. Philippians 3. So there you go. Yeah. The idolatry that's described in the Old Testament is you're worshiping something that man created, something that was from man, as opposed to what's from God so he says son of man in verse 3 these men have taken their idols into their hearts he's warning the prophet about them he's telling the prophet something about them so obviously it's something that's not clear they're pretending to be religious to not to be idolatrous like the rest of the nation of Israel but their idolatry is in their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces so because of their idolatry that's in their heart it is blinds them to the truth, and it places this stumbling block. Then God poses the question, should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? This is God being rhetorical, right? Because he's already decided. The answer is what?
1: Well, he says that he will answer them according to the idols in their heart. Right, exactly. So what does that
0: mean? he will answer them according so so therefore speak to them and say to them thus says the Lord God Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idol into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet I the Lord will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols or in some translation according to their iniquity I'm going to answer them according to their iniquity what does that mean? I think
1: it can have a couple of different meanings.
0: Can you give me an example? Give me an Old Testament example. Balaam's a good one. It's not the one I was thinking of. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. What's going on in 1 Samuel chapter 8? We want a king like everybody else. Right. The nation of Israel says... Now, it's interesting about it. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Did Samuel's kids follow in Samuel's path? Because when it starts over with saying, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. And then he says, Yet yeah, his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, for being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them about of Egypt. Here is God answering them according to their iniquity. Their king should have been God, but God says, Okay, give them a king he tells them what the king is going to do. The king is going to multiply horses. The king's going to... He's going to take to himself all these things that you have. This is not going to go for you, but, if, you know... But well, you guys want a king? We're going to give you a king. I think...
1: I feel like God does, God, God does this in two ways, though. Like, sometimes he answers people according to their iniquity in the sense that, like... Um, he punishes them or lets them have something that they shouldn't have. But then... After that, or I guess maybe like whenever they repent, or but in still kind of like in response to their iniquity, he gives them enough to ensure that they that they do turn around and to obey. I guess
0: God always shows grace, so there is always the option to turn from your iniquity. I agree, but you see how. If you come with this idolatry in your heart that is blind, that has put this stumbling block of iniquity, right? you don't see what the right thing is to do. Because it wasn't like the nation of Israel was saying, yeah, we know a king is going to be a bad thing. Give us a king. They were saying, we want a king. Why? Because we want to be like all the other nations. And we know that this wasn't God saying, okay, I think a king is a good idea. In Hosea uh, chapter 13, verse 11, he says... I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath.
1: like similar to 2 Thessalonians, to, to God, where it says God will send them. I just, I send them a strong delusion. strong delusion. Why? Because they wouldn't believe.
0: Because they refused to they love refuse. the truth. Yeah. Okay, so what about the New Testament then?
1: Turn
0: to, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse twenty three. Read twenty two and twenty three. Makes a complete thought. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. See, that's an interesting thing. So, Christ crucified is a stumbling block to to the, to the Jews. What does that mean? I feel like they were looking for something physical, you know, physical king that would take over the world. And Jesus did not fit that mold at all. And some of the Jews were not able to get past that stumbling block. And they were never able to accept Jesus, you know. And so then Romans 14, let me just go there. Romans 14, verse 13, I think. Oops! I hit the wrong button on my phone. Romans 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother." And this is kind of touching on a little bit of the conundrum that you presented. Because what happens if you've got a, uh, a, uh, a church where there are some who believe one thing and some who believe another thing, and. You know, we're supposed to be united in the same mind and the same judgment. But what does it tell us not to do here? In the, in the beginning it says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So this is how we're supposed to be towards each other. Any thoughts about this idea?
1: I mean, I think that it, that there are some things that it fits, and there are some things that it doesn't. Yeah, I exactly. I like there are times yeah. whenever people try to apply it in situations that it doesn't apply, because they're, they'll call a thing, they'll claim that they have license to do a thing that the Bible doesn't actually authorize. Um, or they'll apply it to a tradition of man that it also isn't meant to apply to. Um, so I just think I think that as a rule, obviously we have to um, be careful not to cause our brothers to stumble, but I feel like in the long term, the easiest way to avoid causing the weaker brother to stumble is to bring everyone to a correct understanding, and then, then
0: then you have unity. Going to what you're saying, I've heard this applied to talking about someone who is an older person like a pillar in the church, like someone that's looked up to, him, and people say, you know, we like him. But wait a second, this person is saying something that seems to disagree with scripture, and then people will take out Romans 14 and say, yeah, but Romans 14, using it as a cover for sin, using it as a haven for sin, So actually, this is like the stumbling block working in reverse order, if you will. All these instructions have to be carried out with the right spiritual intent. The person who is so set in his ways and so firmly planted in his human tradition that you can't convince him what the right thing is, that's not what Romans 14 is talking about. Because the man who's been a a Christian for 50 years and is, is a pillar in the community, are you going to consider him someone whose faith is weak? Now, someone whose faith is weak is someone who's just escaping from their idolatrous practices. Because that's what he's talking about. And that was a thing that was going on all the time in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, Now concerning food offers to idols, we know and that all of us possess knowledge. And I think he's responding to a question that was put to him about, We've all got the knowledge that we can eat whatever we want, Right? Yet for us there is one God, the Father whom all things, and from all from and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not condemn us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Does that make sense? And so we have to be very, very careful of the spiritual condition of everyone in the church as we attempt to follow exactly what God teaches. This is the in the bond of peace part. We're supposed to keep the unity of the Spirit, and the unity of the Spirit is, like Jesus said, I'm only going to do and say what the Father has told me. And we're supposed to do likewise. But in the bond of peace means we're supposed to be very, very careful that however we conduct ourselves in the household of God does not cause someone else to either one be offended. The easy thing is if I'm just being so pushy and aggressive about my saying, no, 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 you're wrong that I offend that person. That's one thing. But that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He's saying... I'm practicing my freedom, and the person who it's still not exactly right to him gets encouraged to do something that doesn't seem right to him because that's what I'm pushing him to do. Is he doing it by faith? No. And that's the proper usage where in Romans 14, where he says anything not of faith is sin. That's how it is. That's how I'm causing my brother to sin because I don't know if it's right, but. I guess it's okay, I'm going to go along with it because these people who seem to know what they're talking about are fine with it. So that also goes for, as I've seen in churches, as i mentioned about this church that I left, for years and years I was looking at this practice and I'm saying, surely it's not from God, it's from man, but I'll go along with it. I would do that for the sake of unity. There came a point where that was no longer a constructive thing For me to do, because it was a stumbling block for other people. Every time some new person came into the church and said, Hey, what about this practice? And I had to say to them, Well, I'm going along with it for the sake of unity, but I know it doesn't come from God, it comes from man. So the people who were refusing to let go of the tradition from man, they were creating a stumbling block for people who were reading in the Word. And this happens all the time. You know, like I mentioned before, so many people come to me and they say, what does the preacher know that I don't know, that he so firmly holds to such and such, but I don't see it in the Word. What does he know that I don't know? Well, he doesn't. He's just talking his tradition. He's just talking his human tradition that he's raised in. Now, let me be very clear about this. If someone dedicates themselves and wants to be an evangelist, wants to be a preacher of the gospel, this is a very good thing. I applaud them for it. But there are many, many people who are preachers of of the gospel. They have not differentiated between the human tradition and what comes from scripture. And pretty much what they do is they preach their human tradition and just apply verses to it. They attach verses to it, implying that it's from God, saying this is from God. But really in their mind, what they're doing, the structure that they're teaching from is their human tradition. And they're just appending God to it. We should have their backs. We know that the person that is the teacher is going to be judged more harshly. So the rest of us, sitting in the pews in the church, sit back, well, I'm not one of those, I'm not a teacher, so I'm not going to be judged harshly. I don't care. But you realize that your teacher is teaching something that's not right, what are you going to do? The whole church is responsible for this. The whole church needs to make sure that they're helping them. Does anybody have any thoughts about this? The stumbling block idea. What you're doing when you're introducing these teachings that don't come from scripture, that come from human traditions, you're also placing a stumbling block in front of your brother. And that's a sin. You're sinning against your brother, you're sinning against Christ. Thoughts? Questions? Comments? Concerns?
1: It's something that we all need to that we all need to look out for. But if there are people who are doing it, then it is not always intentional or malicious. And we need to take that into account whenever we're trying to correct them.
0: And that's, once again, the hard thing Because, to because be. otherwise
1: we can be a stumbling block also. In trying to remove a stumbling block, you can be a stumbling block. It can be very delicate.
0: I know I've done that. The same exact thing that you're talking about so something that we have to be very, very careful of. The person who's up there preaching is preaching what he's preaching because he believes it's the truth, it's the right thing. So he's firmly convinced that he's doing God's work. You come to him and say, I'm not sure if this thing that you're, that you're uh, uh, advocating here is exactly right. His first reaction is going to be, well, of course you're wrong because I'm preaching the truth. What what has to happen at that point?
1: Well, he has to be humble enough to to check. Yes, to make sure that he that he is indeed teaching the truth. So I feel like if you're going to be a preacher, then you need to be a lot more open minded um, than than people realize, unless i Because I think people are so bent on like I have this thing that I need to say and I need to share and that is great but you should always be conscious and mindful of your fallibility as a human and be not exactly doubting yourself but constantly checking yourself to ensure that what you're saying does indeed match what the Bible says and if you're not willing to do that you 're not willing to question yourself or allow yourself to be questioned then you shouldn't be in that position of an evangelist I don't think if I think it's only I think it's a position that you know you have to be you have to be willing to take on criticism and not just rebut it but consider it and, and to consider it earnestly in case they are correct um, and to check I'm, and I feel like that's a constant constant
0: process. I agree. It is a constant process. So what you should do then is so someone comes to you, you're the preacher, someone comes to you and says, I don't know if this is exactly right what you're preaching. And your first thought is, oh, this guy's absolutely wrong. Then no matter what, you should say this as a person, well, let's open up our Bibles. Come, let's reason together. Let me bring you around to my way of thinking or even better, let's both open up our Bibles and make sure that we're both brought around to God's way of thinking. Right? The mind of Christ. That's what we should be um, uh, united in. It doesn't make any sense for someone who's a teacher to ever have the reaction where, I'm not going to tolerate this kind of input. If I keep coming back to you and say, yeah, but this, yeah, but this, let's look at the scripture, let's look at that scripture, let's reason together. Because the both of us are going to stand before God in the end. And better that we get to the bottom of this and figure it out now and we're able to follow the instruction where we are united in mind and judgment. Better we do that now than for God on the day of judgment to say, yeah, you didn't even try hard enough. You just dismissed this instruction about unity because you know how hard it is to do, whatever the reason is. You know how badly this has gone in the past. So someone says to you, aren't we supposed to have unity? And you say, yeah, but it's impossible. I'm not going to do it. And God holds you responsible for that. And we have all those verses. You know, Ezekiel's about that, right? We have Ezekiel doing the thing about the watchman. You have all these situations where if you're not doing exactly what God wants you to do, someone else's blood is going to be on your hands. So not only are you going to have to deal with your own sins, you've brought someone else's blood on your hands. In the case of uh, what we looked at here in 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14, if you cause your brother whose faith is weak to stumble, if you, if you happen to do something that's not of faith, that's sin, then you've sinned against him, you've sinned against Christ, you've brought his blood on your hands. You destroy that brother. The example that Ezekiel gave, if you see the sword coming and you fail to warn the people, then their blood is um, going to be required of them and it's going to be required of you also that should very severely regulate our behavior we should we should be constantly concerned about that and we should make sure that we conduct ourselves in a way that helps even the weakest not to stumble so what do you think about this whole stumbling block thing this is a good topic i
1: think it's a good topic i think it's just one that people i think it's one that people um uh don't approach with enough caution because it's so because I think it's such an easy easy um, sin to commit um, without even really without necessarily even realizing it I do think it's important too though to make sure that like because it's so easy to do and to not that that we shouldn't put all of that Like obviously, we should try to not be stumbling blocks ever. Um, But if someone is like a stumbling block to us, we shouldn't put just put all the blame on them either. That we have a responsibility to go to them and to be like, "Hey, this is tripping me up," and that if we don't do that, then we are as much of a stumbling block to ourselves as they are, and it's not. Um, And that we have to be, and we have to as Christians, be fair about that and be honest. With our, with ourselves, and and with the people who are, who are potentially causing us to to falter, that because because they may be doing it unwittingly, and we should give them the benefit of the doubt.
0: Nobody can read anybody else's mind, mm-hmm. so I think that's a really good point. The Apostle Paul was so concerned about this that he he, he mentions it a few times about this this not being a stumbling stumbling block to your brother and how important that is so yeah I think it's something that we need to give more consideration to and you're right it cuts both ways both parties have to be cooperative in this so if we both have that same instruction then we're going to know not to do anything to be a stumbling block and we're going to say well if this person is being a stumbling block to me how do we fix that we need to fix that if I think you're doing something that's being a stumbling block to me, I don't want you to be condemned for that sin. Right. So we're going to figure out how together we can work together right. to keep that from being a problem.
1: Right. Because but, cause going back to like the meat-eating the, the, the meat example, like no, you're the only person who knows whether you're eating in good conscience or not. You're the only person who knows whether you're eating of faith or not. The people around you, they may not. they may not know so i think it's it's just it's important to um and i guess this this all goes kind of back to looking out just to looking out for each other and to striving for unity and just having like good brotherly love because you know if something if it's something that your brother is able to do in faith that you're not able to do in faith then there is at least a little part of you that probably thinks, well, maybe they're sinning by doing that. And to just go ahead and let your brother do that is, is, is also in view. What if you were right? You know, what if you're not the one who has the weak faith? So I just think it, it really highlights and brings even more to bear that we ought to be striving for unity and striving to have more thorough, more proper understanding, like both of what. What you believe and what we believe. Like, what? Because I feel like in the church, like this little, this congregation is a little bit different because it's so small. Like, and we have more opportunity to really discuss things here. But it, it, in most congregations, I think people just take for granted that you believe the same thing. Yeah. And, like, you just sort of think, like, oh, those people think the same things that I do. And we don't really... You don't really talk about differences. You don't really even, like, necessarily discuss the things that you really believe with each other on, on many occasions. I mean, because usually, well, when you hear the preacher preach, and you may or may not talk to each other what you thought about... And the you know, preacher doesn't even know either, because
0: everyone's the just sitting there like, you know? like an oil painting. While the um, preachers up there talking, I think he this, to so bad. Exactly. So that. It's, it's
1: really hard to tell, like how um how common of a ground you really do have with your beliefs. If you don't, I just feel like there's not enough discussion in most uh, churches today. Maybe even even in like classroom settings, like there's a lot of people who just don't.
0: When when one of these things gets brought up, it always surprises me how different people are thinking. I'm reading my Bible and saying, well, yeah, of course, what's being said isn't right. But there may be a whole bunch of people that are like, well, of course that's right. Mm -hmm. And if we don't talk about it, we're not going to do it. So this part answers Jeremy's question. The end result of the thing that Tonya was just talking about, which is you get these people that come together and worship week in, week out, month in, month out, and never really share what's actually going on inside their brains, then... You're going to wind up in a situation like that when something's going to come up and they're going, to be, they're going to realize they're in total disagreement. So the way to keep that from happening is to always make sure that you're all on the same page, that you're all understanding and you're all thinking the same thing. And sometimes it surprises me when I say something and, well, that's what you got from what I just said. It's like the both of our fault. It might be my fault for having said something in a way that could easily be taken wrong. But someone might take it differently because of whatever experiences they're coming from. If we're not always interacting and making sure we're all on the same page, then we are going to wind up in a place like you described where we both believe we're right, but we're in complete disagreement. We're not in unity on what we're our understanding. It's so easy for us as we go through our day-to-day interactions to become a stumbling block to each other. This is taken very seriously in scripture and so each of us must always be on alert and committed to not being a stumbling block. Returning to the discussion of my past church experiences, certain things that have always puzzled me are now very clear. If a local church is not careful to heed the warning Jesus gave that is recorded in the Gospel of Mark chapter 7 verses 8 and 9 Jesus says you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men and he said to them you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition if a church is not keeping their teaching pure and focused on God then divisions will surely arise, and we will violate the instruction found in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, where the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Letting go of God's teaching in order to hold to opinions from men will invariably cause a stumbling block to those attempting to please God. I'm often prodded when I give a long winded explanation of why I left the previous church I had been a member of to just give a list of the scriptures that were violated. And so here's the list Mark 7. Especially note verses eight and 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse ten. And now, from today's discussion, add Romans fourteen thirteen. And for my participation in this for many years, of course, I pray for forgiveness. That's all for now. Goodbye and God bless. The love of the Lord perfect, converting the soul,
1: the judgments of the Lord are true and and
0: righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold.